0: Welcome to the Small Groups in the Wesleyan Way podcast, where we are all about going beyond programs, beyond best practices, and beyond curriculum to recover and learn from our Wesleyan roots and to explore the foundations for small groups that produce disciples of Jesus Christ who, in turn, disciple others. My name is Scott Hughes, and I'm the Director of Adult Discipleship here at Discipleship Ministries.
1: I'm Steve Manskar, Director of Wesleyan Leadership at Discipleship Ministries.
0: I've just finished reading Howard Snyder's Radical Wesley and I, I thought about if we redid this intro, I think we would use the quote about organizing to beat the devil.
1: I think we should redo the intro.
0: <laughs> That's what we're here to help churches do in their small group ministry is to organize to beat the devil. What you do not come here
1: for is baseball predictions. Well you should give a little context. I'll, a lot I'll of people you. a lot of people don't know what that book is about. I'll let you do that. You're the, you're the Wesley scholar. <laughs> I'll, I'll put that on you. Well, The Radical Wesley is, it's a wonderful book that in which Professor, you know, Howard Snyder describes John Wesley's ministry and, in, in, you know, focusing on the Wesleyan uh, Methodist movement in England and how yeah. it developed and I, lo- it's a wonderful book, uh, and I have the Wesley Pilgrims read it in oh, preparation okay. for the pilgrimage.
0: I can see why. Yeah,
1: because it describes how Wesley organized the early Methodist movement and the you know, societies and the classes and the bands, and yeah. and the role that each of those small groups played. Yes. That's, yeah. In in the society and in the movement and and. It's those. Cl- it's the class meeting and and the band to a le- I think to a lesser degree, but more the class meeting yeah. is what Wesley was talking about when he said oh, okay. we're organized to beat the devil with the class meetings. With the class meetings. See, I and, knew you'd and, do a better job with and that than I do. the the class leaders, the off the, those pastoral um, <clears throat> lay leaders in discipleship, yeah, called class leaders.
0: Yeah. No, that's good. Thank you, Steve. I. I appreciate you letting me put you on the spot there. I know you do a better <laughs> job than I would explaining it. Um, so, yeah, that's part of what we're doing today is we're going to interview Gene, Reverend Gene Tippett about how we organize well. What, what, what are the dynamics that can distract and take away from, from our groups? And so Reverend Gene Tippett is the discipleship pastor at Christ UMC in Mobile um, and she actually has a degree from South Alabama in communication with small groups. And so, when I heard she had a degree in small groups, I knew she's the one we we need to interview her. So I think you're going to enjoy this interview with Reverend Jean Tippett. Well, Jean, thank you so much for being with us today. We're so excited to have you. Um, one of the one of the biggest reasons why. Um, not just because you're a local practitioner of small groups, but because you're the first person I've met who's ever said, I have a degree in small groups. And I went, wow, how cool. What is that? (laughs) And so I knew I wanted you to to be on this podcast. And so I'm very excited to to have you as part of this. And we're going to get to a, a number of group dynamics, right? Small groups are full of people, and that means dynamics are all over the place. Um, And so I'll just kind of start with one of the things you brought up in terms of um, space. Let's talk about space and group and how those fit together and how sometimes uh, perhaps the way we're set up in a group can kind of fight what we're trying to achieve in a group. So I'll just kind of throw that out to you and let you go with that.
2: Um, I think as we look at groups, based on what you want to accomplish in a group, is how you really have to set up your space. Okay. So, for example, if you want a discussion style group, you you definitely want to face each other somehow. You don't want to have some people flat. I know they can't see my hands, but you don't want some <laughs> people in rows because then they right. can't really see each other and they don't have that interaction that they want. So you want to get people in group, and so then you have to think about uh, the size of the group and. If you want the group to have more of a casual, intimate feeling, even from the beginning, you can use like softer chairs or couches Mm. because because automatically those things help us relax because they're more comfortable. You know, if you have these stiff folding chairs, you're sitting them in a stiffer way. You're kind of a little more vulnerable, you know, whereas with a couch or a softer chair, you just feel more comfortable. And so you kind of drop some of your guards and you relax as a person. Um, another interesting thing that I've seen a lot of is the use of tables.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> how does that impact the, the group? The what use. Of, how does that impact the, the group having a table in between? Well,
2: yeah, I think, you know, if it's like a coffee table where you can put your coffee, that's a sure. little different. Because when you think about small groups, sometimes you think about in-home groups. Yeah. So a little coffee table, that doesn't affect you as much as when you get a table that you're sitting at right? And, and a lot of people would say that a table really prevents people from sort of initially intimate relationships from trust mm. because it gives you a barrier, mm. uh, creates kind of a, a wall almost around you. Are you having trouble hearing? No,
0: that? you're good. I mean, I think that's a really important point because I think that's one of the dynamics we really want to foster in a group is trust. Right, and I think you're right. There's some some barrier between us that impedes trust. That that's problematic. What yeah. would you say? And oh, go ahead.
2: Oh, I was just going to say, but now if you put food on that table, okay, and you change the use of the table. So if we're having dinner together, okay, we've gone back to kind of the couch look because it's more of something that we all do. We all eat, and pretty much people will kind of get. Kind of sidetracked by it, and the the table itself is not as much of a barrier for them. Um, although some people are intimidated by eating in the company of others, so you do have to keep that in mind. But no, that's um, true. and I'm not just talking about snacks because you know snacks just sometimes can get awkward on a, t- a table that's too big. Huh. You know, like if you're reaching across and the snacks are way over there. But when you're really talking about a meal. You can engage. That's why a lot of I think a lot of the groups use the round table model, okay? Because you can reach to the center better. You can um, you can kind of have almost like a family style atmosphere. Mm.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And, and what would you say in terms of uh, in home groups and in a church? Does that make a big difference in terms of di- the dynamics of a group? Um, you know. Well, I'll just kind of leave it pretty broad at that. What do you think about yeah. that?
2: I think one of the things that we're finding in some of our initial things that I'm trying to do here, we're finding that when you have something in a home,
1: mm-hmm. if
2: I don't know the person and they're inviting me to their home to a Bible study, that's a little, or to a small group or to whatever you know we call it, it's a little awkward. Okay. Because I don't know them. And now they're yeah. inviting me to their home. Which seems uh, pretty intimate. Yeah, because it creates, you know, like, you because know, so, but, but once you're there, mm. if you can get people to come, okay. then the home setting is going to have all of those levels of uh, the comfort, the this is my home, I've invited you in. You can see all my space. There's a level of transparency that's sometimes reduced, mm. yeah. you know between the, that initial contact. So there's some really great things about home if you can actually get people to kind of do that initial work of coming.
0: That makes sense. right? So a, church,
2: you know, a church building or a restaurant or a coffee shop, those are kind of like third spaces where everybody's kind of equal, whereas a home, it's a little nerve-wracking. But if they will come to the home, somebody said yesterday they had a small group and it often met at a yogurt place. And they said, we did really have a lot of fun and our children could eat yogurt and they could sit at their table okay. and we could sit at our table and have a kind of deep discussion at the yogurt table. The problem was there were topics we never could discuss.
1: Because uh, some topics were off we were limits.
2: In, that's right. We were in a public place. Our kids were right there. So there were some things we'd never discussed in a public place that if we'd been in someone's home, yeah. we would have discussed.
0: Huh, that makes sense um well, got a question?
1: Well, Stan? I just a question that came to my you know talking about meeting in homes um and I appreciate your comment about you know that the the hesitancy of you know getting people yeah. to to cross the threshold of another person's home. Um, I'm thinking but you you also need to pre, that, that the, the host needs to pre, you know pre, make prepare that home to be a welcoming place. Right. In other words, you can't I don't think you can assume that you know you know the place it needs to be clean you know do, do they have pets that yeah. Need to be Been there. restrained, you know, or yeah. put put away somewhere. Yeah. You know, that's the kind of stuff that you need. You know, if you're going to be meeting in homes, that's the kind of stuff that I think needs to be addressed, right? Right,
2: right. Yeah. Well, I just had to do that last week. I do a working mother's lunch in my home, and someone called me just before they arrived and said, "I'm bringing a friend. She's afraid of dogs." And I said, "No problem." So I put out my little wouldn't bite a flea uh, dog outside because that would have hindered her from, you yeah. know, any kind of interaction right from the very beginning. Yeah. So,
0: yeah, that's important. So, to- yes,
2: you're right. And I think, you know, the other thing is homes, like sometimes just the way homes are set up, are we, what part of the house do you let people in and how do you, where do you actually sit and that sort of thing. And I think it's important to have enough chairs, Yeah. you know. Uh, you know there's a difference between a small group and a party. At a party, they say you only want to have about half the number of chairs for the oh, people that you're expecting to come because then people will mingle, they will get up and walk around, they will go in the kitchen, they will go in the outside, they will they will mingle, okay? Huh, yeah. But if you want small group, you do want everybody to sit down. You do want everybody to have a comfortable or a good location to rest, you know?
0: So. so alternate title to this part to this particular episode small groups are not a party <laughs>
2: <laughs> well i mean i didn't say that. no i
0: know i know you didn't that's really interesting though i never would have thought i never well they, about they
1: are they're they're preparation for the party that is the kingdom of god oh
0: well done <laughs> oh yeah well done good good turn there good well let me ask another question that was very helpful gene One of the other things that you've mentioned to me that I think would be very beneficial to our listeners is leadership. So Let's talk about small group and leadership and how you identify future leaders. I know that's been a question I've received is, how do we identify future leaders? So uh, tell us about that.
2: Well, it's really kind of hard actually. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Because I think uh, the identifying, um, you know, I think takes a lot. Personally, I believe in a lot of prayer when it comes to identifying leaders. Uh, Just really spending time with God and and really seeking His favor and seeking His presence in our decision-making. That's not for my education in small groups. That's just (laughs) from knowing that I've had to do that. And also seeking discernment, you know, um, really kind of weighing. And if I don't feel like I have the gift of discernment, maybe inviting someone else into the conversation with me as I consider who to call or who to invite um, or who volunteers. Because you know, as a coming back here to this church after being here three months, we've kind of thrown out a net and said, if you're interested in being a small group leader, contact Gene. And so you you know you get that list, and you really got to kind of have mm-hmm. a sense of discernment about that. And so yeah. for me, being new, I've had to engage other people, you know. So so I think there's some of that that's a, kind of a spiritual element. Does that make sense?
0: Absolutely. Oh yeah.
2: Yeah, and then and then there's the kind of, you know, who would you talk to? Kind of walking around, Mm -hmm. you know, your church and engaging with people and seeing who would I engage with? Who would I talk to? Um, One of the things we're considering right now is doing um, kind of in-home small groups that um, are in neighborhoods kind of around our city. So Um, so, geography-based. Yeah, geography-based. And so so we actually are looking, you know, we might – pull up a list of names of people who actually live in that area and then really begin to kind of think through who of this group, who of this group could do this, who of this group might could do this if I'm going to actually recruit them. Yeah. And, um, I think it really is that personal touch of making one of the things I'm really finding. I think I told you this before was I'm really finding, you know, personal touch is so important. Mm-hmm. The phone call and actually asking someone, You know, a lot of times with volunteers, we say, oh, I just can't get enough volunteers. I just can't get enough leaders. But part of that is we just really have to make the phone calls and ask. And we have to engage people and and really say, hey, I've seen you do this. Could you possibly lead? You know, they may tell you no, but so what? Take the risk. Yeah.
0: Now, have you had the the opportunity yet? (laughs) Opportunity. Um, As you get that list of potential leaders to say, hmm, not this person and have to tell somebody, yeah, you're really good at this, but this isn't your area. Have you waded through those waters yet? I know, I know that's something that I had to wade through. That was really uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> so that's something you've managed yet, or how would you manage it if it happened, I guess?
2: I'm going to tell you, it's just transparency. But mm. yes, I've, um, I've done all levels of volunteer rejection, I guess you would say. <laughs> um, yeah. I've had to fire them. I've had to yeah. uh, I've had to ask them not to volunteer. I think the best part that if I had one thing I could say, it's yeah. transparency and honesty early. Not mm-hmm. letting a situation get out of hand. Yeah. If my discernment spirit or someone around me that I consider wise, their discernment says Nope, not a good person. I would go there. Then I've really got to listen to that early on yeah. because I'm just setting a lot of people up to get hurt if I don't, and I don't think God calls us to do that.
1: Yeah. It's good. So. It's
0: good. Um, is that a enough answer? No, that's really good. Yeah, okay. I mean I think that's something we all face is those people who might have a lot of information, might be very passionate, might be very enthusiastic, but may not be the right person in terms of mm-hmm. getting at the relational and facilitation t- type of dynamic we might want. And, and that can be a hard conversation with folks to say, you know, not now, right? Maybe you need to watch this person or, um, mm-hmm. you know, be mentored by this person to see how they do it to so that um, you can see a different way uh, of perhaps right. what's you've always been done. Any questions you've got, Steve, there about leadership in small groups?
1: Well, I just... W- my question is: How do you train and prepare, yeah, and then true. support leaders in their work of leadership in small groups?
2: How how are we doing that? Yeah, we are actually um, we are just offering. We created kind of a four weeks of like what each group must have, and we kind of okay. base that on Acts chapter two. Yep, uh, you know, devoted to the apostles teaching prayer, community, serving each other. You know, we just kind of use that basic passage from Acts chapter 2. We talk about every group has to have these things. And then we move them from that session. We actually talk to them about leading a discussion. What does it look like to lead a discussion? And hopefully we give them some, some helpful things like how to listen, how to ask questions, We give them some information about if someone's talking too much, how do you gracefully, you know, stop that pattern? Um, And so just kind of talking to them about what does discussion look like. We also talk about corporate prayer and how to Mm, lead corporate prayer and the importance of praying together. And then um, just try to give them some help as they do that. And then also uh, we're now also, this is, where we are with most of our newest small group leaders is how do you recruit others?
0: Oh, and just so really helping kind them of to helping identify them,
2: process. Okay, we're single, thirty-year-old women. How do we recruit other people our age that we may or may not know? And oh, okay. how does that look? And uh, just trying to figure that out. So together, but I do that to be honest. Right now, most of that has been one-on-one sessions of kind of an hour to two hour just sitting and talking with people because that's to me, I haven't been able to get them all together for a meeting. <laughs> so, uh, which is one of the reasons I think we need small groups because you can't be everywhere at one time, you know? Mm. So one of these groups is meeting at lunch and one of these meetings is meeting on Sunday mornings and one is meeting after school in the afternoon. So that's why I have to meet at all these different times is because they're meeting at all these different times.
0: You know. Well, that's are that doing, Steve. That's good that you can give that, that attention to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's It's really a lot good. of
2: work, though. I wish I could get them all together.
0: Yeah. Well, I know one of the things you want to talk about was curriculum and the place of curriculum. Yeah. Um, and so tell us a little more about what yeah. you're finding. Oh, go ahead.
2: I do want to go back to the question about leaders and yeah. letting leaders not do small groups, per se. Yeah. I think a lot of times helping people find their giftedness is really important. So when you're sitting and you're talking to someone who maybe has volunteered, who maybe you don't think of as a small group leader or maybe something about them has come up in a way that you can't use them or something, then I think there are ways to help them find new avenues. Um, We're even praying about right now starting some email small groups. We have a UMW circle that is completely on email. And I have a friend who was a part of a Facebook group that -hmm. was a closed group and they did running feeds, you know, on that. And so now we're even thinking about that with some of our groups. And so that person, you may be gifted at doing that email group or some other type of small group leadership, Mm. whereas maybe not in the context of a a house or something, you know. Or maybe they just need to write letters or something. But finding <laughs> them something else to do, uh, uh, trying to help people do that, I think is important.
0: Yeah, yeah, good. Um, so curriculum, tell us, curriculum. Tell us what, what you're finding and, and how that's going for you.
2: Yeah, I am struggling right now um, because the leaders that I am recruiting, and we've recruited several since I've been here in these three months, and we've started trying to develop some new groups They desire to have something to hold, something to do. They'll ask me, Well, what should we do? You know? Right. And so I'll give them this list of ideas about asking questions, like, What has God done for you this week? Or How is it with your soul? Or kind of walking them through some of these questions. And they're still like, No, no, no. I mean, a book. Mm. Like, Do you have a book? Can we read a book? You know? And so. Uh, trying to figure out how that fits in right now is kind of hard for me. Like, okay. because I think it has to do with their confidence. I think it has yeah. to do with their their feeling of I can do this. I can manage this. You know.
0: Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll say something if you want to add something, Steve. Feel free. One thing the things that I, I wrote in my notes recently that I, that I've come across um, that I, that I'm realizing just how true this is, and that is, we're relationally poor in our society. And and I think that kind of feeds into this. I need the specific steps because if I just ask a question, it sort of falls flat and people are not willing to sort of fight through that uncomfortableness and awkwardness to get to a deeper level of trust. Does that, does that make any sense?
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: I mean, I, I, I and, and maybe that's just sort of my own musings there, but I, I do think we got to help people to push through the awkwardness of it's okay if you ask a question and there's some silence, <laughs> right? And and just sort of let mm-hmm. let someone be willing to carry the conversation. Um, yeah, I don't know. Kinda, I'll, I'll stop there. But I think there's the, I absolutely think there's something to what you're saying, Gene, in terms of helping people to push through the. I have to have more questions so that I can get more responses as opposed to less questions and deeper responses, but then helping people to learn with those shorter, lesser number of questions to get deeper. Is that, I, and I may be off track there, but that's sort of what I've been thinking recently. And I don't know if that helps you at all, Gene, but um, any thoughts there,
1: Steve? Uh yes. Yes. Um. Well, I, I'm assuming that the purpose of small group ministry in a church is to help the church in its mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Yes. Right, and so what that ultimately means is helping the small. The purpose of the small groups is to equip the people to live their baptism. Mhm. Um. And in our tradition as Wesleyan, United Methodists, what I recommend is a way of guiding people in living their baptismal covenant, and, and for the church to live its baptismal covenant, is to adopt a congregational rule of life. Mm. Um, and we have, as United Methodists, we, do ha- we have a rule of life, it's called the general rules. Mm. And what I recommend congregations use is the contemporary sort of summary of the general rules in what's called the general rule of discipleship, which is to witness to Jesus Christ in the world and to follow his teachings through acts of compassion, justice, worship, and devotion under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. That if a congregation then adopts that general rule as their rule of life, which then what that means is it guides us in how we live in the world. And these are the habits that we need to form in order to live as baptized people to live as citizens of God's kingdom and as channels of God's grace and love for the world. That's That's our calling as Christians. So that's the purpose of this rule is to guide us in that life. So then something that you could give to your your small group leaders that you know in these groups that are not curriculum driven but rather focused on formation as disciples is to simply give them that rule of that rule of life is the curriculum of the group Mm -hmm. that you could ask you know the historic question is how is it with your soul and the right. way you answer that question is shaped by how you've applied that general rule, that rule of life in your, in the last week, or however often the group meets, you know. Let that general, right. that rule of life, or, or you could even use the questions of the baptismal covenant.
0: Hmm, that's interesting,
1: yeah. Um, have people check in around how we're doing with living our baptism. That kind of stuff. And, yeah. th- and, and that then focuses on our discipleship rather than on, you know, learning some information as good as that is. We also need to be, you know, checking in with each other. You know, this is what your le- the leaders can do is help people, one, be aware that I'm baptized and that means something. That, mm-hmm. that, should, that should say something about how I live my life, right? Right, yeah. Um, so that's just my input, you know, just a suggestion as to what churches could do.
0: Okay, good, good. Was that, was that helpful at all, Gene? I'm curious. That's,
2: that's helpful for me. Yeah. yeah.
1: Okay, good. Cool. <laughs>
0: um, my last question then is, um, conflict. Conflict arises in all groups. What advice would you give to churches, uh, or pastors that are dealing with small groups with, that have conflict? Any, any thoughts there?
2: Um, well, I think I always say honesty and honesty in the sense of love with, with love all around it though. Yeah. Um, I love the passage in Romans 12 that kind of talks about living in community as the body of Christ. And so sometimes, when the conflict, if I haven't been in the midst of that conflict, if I'm helping someone else process it in their small group, I've kind of walked through with that. Kind of how do you live in harmony with this person? How do you create peaceful environment with this situation? You know, how do we do these things? Um, Because I think sometimes the conflict is things, especially now, like, with Facebook or social media (laughs) where people think they can attack someone on social media that they're going to be in small group with that following week. And somehow that's going to be two different worlds. That's not two different worlds, you know? And so how we respond in a loving way to that person, how we, how we even phrase everything we do and how we begin to realize that, that we're in this thing about love. So that's part of it. It's just helping all of us understand that we're in this together um, as the body and yeah. that we have to deal with each other in love and honesty. And, and then the next part is just really, like I said, I, I, really, I really hedge on being honest and being honest sooner than later. Hmm. So, you know, sometimes, and I think this goes back to Matthew 18, if I have a person that's constantly yep. kind of a rub for everybody and people don't trust them, People don't want to talk to them. Then, really stepping aside, um, not in front of the group, but stepping aside with that person and yeah, having that conversation. And and I'll be honest, a lot of times that's as far as it has to go. Mm-hmm. Um. Because either the person will get get madder and leave, or possibly <laughs> they will. Um. They will. You know. They will adapt to the group. Um. The other thing, simple things like if somebody just is kind of uh, controlling, you know, because that's not necessarily conflict, but it feels tense in a group. Yeah, yeah. If there's a person who's controlling the group, talking too much or whatever, I think then you have to use tactics, you know, like like kind of let's pose a question and let's literally say, okay, we're a small group, we have a limited amount of time, and so everybody just gets one minute, so we're just going to have a timer, and we're just going to time it. Um, mm. And maybe you do that for a few weeks, see how it goes, and then put the timer away. Yeah. And I've even encouraged leaders just do it in a joking, fun sort of manner right. from the beginning of the from the beginning of that particular meeting. Yeah, yeah, that makes And sense. see how it goes. That makes sense. Because while that, you don't want to do that at the beginning of your group. Like you don't want to do that the first night, <laughs> if you can help it. Right. But I do think it has advantages if you start to have problems. Yeah. Um, I loved, I was in a group recently with someone who had two timers. This was really nice because when one timer ran out, they had the other one to turn over and use. So they had these two timers to pass around. It was really nice.
1: Yeah.
0: Good. Well, thank you so much for your wisdom and for your ministry. You've been been a big help to many. So thank you so much, Gene. So there was a lot in what Gene said that we could unpack, but I know one of the things that stuck out to both of us it was that when there are conflict happening within the group to to go to that person in particular and then do so outside the group right that's probably the best way to handle that and she she um reminded us of Matthew 18 in the process to do that
1: and and i what came to my mind i think we didn't have time for me to pipe in but you know i think she mentioned Romans 12 mm. um but what immediately came to my mind, and I was looking it up on my phone and my okay. Bible that I have on my phone, is I think it's Ephesians four fifteen. Is it speaking the truth in love? Yep. And you know, we must grow up in every way into Christ, and, and we do that by one of the ways that contributes to that is mm. speaking the truth in love.
0: Which does not mean being opinionated, right? <laughs> Nicely. Yeah. <laughs> No, I think that's really good. That's very helpful, Steve. I'm glad you, you reminded us of that. Um, well, Gene was very helpful and I know there's probably more dynamics we didn't get to that you might have wanted us to and so I hope what you'll do is you'll interact with us. You can find our emails on the website, umcdiscipleship.org. You can also find us on Twitter. I'm at Rev Scott's Tweets and also at UMC Adult Form for Adult Formation.
1: And I'm At S Manskar, that's S-M-A-N-S-K-A-R.
0: So reach out to us there. Uh, Find us on Facebook. Uh, Give us a review on iTunes. That helps spread the word about the podcast. Give us a five-star review. That would really help others to find the podcast. And so we look forward to interacting with you. So shoot us your questions, your comments, and suggestions. And we look forward to connecting with you and being in ministry together. Until next time, peace.
1: Small Groups in the Wesleyan Way podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.